Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing this show since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, The FinTech Blueprint with Lex Sokolin and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro, or listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Phil Goldfeder. He is the CEO of the American FinTech Council, one of the leading trade associations for the FinTech space. But he wanted to get Phil on the show. He took the job a few months back and wanted to get him on to talk about some of the hot button issues facing the industry today. He goes through several. We go in depth on earned wage access. We talk about data privacy, bank FinTech partnerships. He talks about the CFPB. Um, We also delve into the seventh annual um, policy summit that is happening in DC in November. You can find all about that towards the end of the interview. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So we've known each other for years, but it's the first time on the show. Um, An honor to have you here. I know a lot of the industry uh, knows you well. You've got a pretty high profile, but would love to sign of get your background. I know you spent some time in politics. So just give us some of the highlights of your career to date. Oh, thanks again for having me. Really excited to be here. I'm a little bit offended. I haven't been on the show uh, for the many years to this <laughs> My point. Bad. But, My uh, bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll make this show so great that you're going to want to have me again. Okay. So I started my career in public service. I uh, spent time uh, in New York politics, in New York City Council. I worked, I had the privilege to work for, for then Mayor Michael Bloomberg and before moving on to work for Senator Chuck Schumer, before ultimately running for office myself. Proud to serve in the New York State Legislature until 2016, where I decided to sort of shift um, to the next level of public service and, and found that, that fintech was the right fit for that. Um, and so for six years, I uh, worked at the, as the head of public affairs for Cross River, um, acclimating and, and growing um, Cross River's brand and presence um, across the industry, and, and now really, really excited to be at the American FinTech Council. Yeah, so let's just start there. What attracted you to the job at the AFC? You know, I dedicated my entire, you know, again, the first half of my career to public service. You know, the, the idea of uh, fintech was something that was very, very exciting to me. It's it's the reason I, I ultimately went to Cross River. I had a relationship with the leadership team and with their CEO, but really what drew me in was, was the message and the story and what they were able to accomplish. You know, you think about post-recession going back to 2008, when most big banks uh, withdrew and, and de-risked and exited communities and, and communities and families didn't have basic access to financial services. 
it's when the earliest stages of fintech really stepped in to solve for those problems in a fair, safe, transparent, reliable way. Cross River was the leading bank enabling those fintech companies to offer those services to families who needed it most. And so to me, it felt very natural as an extension of my public service in terms of how I can I continue my my work, but more importantly, impact communities, impact neighborhoods, impact states, and ultimately the country, and, and hopefully at some point um, across the world. The American FinTech Council is the next natural step for, for that and for me in my career, and that it's more than just representing a, a single entity um, and their partners, but, but now I have the privilege of represent, representing dozens and dozens of companies who are all in their own way democratizing financial services and creating access to credit access to financial services um, and providing services to those in need and the american fintech council provides me the perfect platform uh, to advocate to to create a real voice for an industry i think that needs it it's the perfect job for you in many ways you've you've got a high profile in the industry and you've got a lot of energy and the industry needs needs someone like you to at the helm for a big job like this so Maybe let's step back and just give the listeners uh, a bit of a flavor of what the American FinTech Council does exactly. That's a great question. And I, not to be confused with your traditional trade association, while by all aspects, it looks like a traditional trade association, what makes the American FinTech Council different is that our members, the FinTech companies and, and the banks that serve them, uh, who make up our membership all believe in a clear uh, standard for operation. And so the American FinTech Council represents a number of different verticals in the FinTech space, uh, payments, earned wage access, buy now, pay later, obviously banks and, and more. And within each of those verticals, we work with our membership to understand and determine a clear and, and direct standard that we can then propose and, and work with regulators, policymakers to institute to ensure that that we're not compromising on consumer protection as we offer um, financial services in the technology space. It, it's it's so important to understand that, that just not all fintech is created equal. Um, and the American Fintech Council's job is to bifurcate those companies that are offering responsible, transparent products and those who simply are not. Now, it's unfortunate. I had you know, I, I had the, the privilege of representing uh, Southern Queens and Rockaway, New York, uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. And I was on the front lines witnessing those, we'll call them what they are, those bad actors who prey on families um, in their time, in their in their worst time of need. And and in fintech, we, we look, unfortunately, you see the same thing, right? You see some companies who are taking advantage of consumers, some, some companies who are taking advantage of small businesses. Some banks that are, are utilizing their regulatory structure to, to enable certain fintech companies to take advantage of the system. Um, and that's everything that the American Fintech Council stands against. And, and we create a standard that, that really sort of is a, a symbol and a sign to regulators, policymakers, but also to consumers that fintech is not unregulated. It's not the Wild West. And that when you work with responsible actors, you can get responsible and transparent um, and affordable products. And, and we try to, to to really spend a lot of time bifurcating that message and, and bifurcating sort of the various verticals and, and companies within those verticals. We're offering, let me be very clear, very different products, right? Just because somebody is in the buy now, pay later space, it doesn't mean that they're offering a similar or, or, or the same product. There are companies that offer a clear standard to designate their products as loans. So consumers are getting proper disclosures. And then there are companies that don't. 
and who look for ways to, to not provide certain disclosures and, and for not uh, provide the consumer the information they need. And so those are the kinds of things and, and the kinds of companies that we work for um, and that we represent, you know, in the bank space. We look for for banks that, that maintain a standard of 36% um, uh, interest rate cap to ensure that consumers are, are getting access to credit, but they're not getting access to credit that they can't afford and they, or they can't handle. And so it's about really bifurcating responsible fintech actors from, from the rest of the ecosystem. Got it. Okay. I want to spend the next few minutes talking about some of the hot button issues facing facing the industry, obviously around Washington. And is it is it every week you're in Washington these days? Every single week. I, I try to spend a lot of time meeting with our companies where they are, but but a lot of our work uh, takes place in, in Washington, D.C., and I want to make sure that I'm there to represent our companies. Uh, so then let's just spend the next few minutes talking about some of the hot button issues that when you're talking with the, the legislators there, when you're talking with regulators um, and your members, what are some of the core issues that you want to make sure people understand? So interestingly enough, I mean, oftentimes, you know, Peter, you and I spend so much time in the industry talking with 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 companies, talking with um, different participants, and we kind of forget that there's a wider world around us who don't inherently understand what is fintech? How is it different than traditional financial services? What are the nuances? How does it work? And so we oftentimes take that for granted. And so I think first and foremost, it's, it's critically important to recognize that fintech is regulated when done responsibly. Fintech is, is absolutely regulated. Many fintech companies partner um, with regulated institutions. Um, if they're not partnering with regulated institutions, they're getting uh, state licenses. Many of our many of our members have have 40, 50 state licenses all across the country. And so responsible actors are looking for ways uh, to work within a system. And, and they're doing this for the very, very simple reason is that they're trying to build a solid foundation in which to grow their companies and, and grow their market share and, and serve more consumers. Unfortunately, again, going back to what we talked about a few moments ago, there are some companies who are looking to make as much profit, prey on as many consumers as possible and get out. Responsible companies are doing the opposite, right? They're looking to sort of understand that there's short-term risk, short-term, you know, potential pain for long-term success and growth of their company. And you're you're already seeing that to survive and, and more importantly, thrive. And so more first and foremost, when we when we talk to policymakers and regulators in Washington and in states all across the country, AFC right now is actively engaged with 14 states across the country. I imagine as we start to plan for the 24 2024 legislative session will we'll probably take on a few more. That being said, is that basically telling the story that, that fintech is regulated. You do financial, when performing financial services online, it's not the wild west. The space is regulated. And then sort of you go down and you start to think about, well, so how are they regulated? So the, the nuances of the bank fintech partnership and, and how do you judge and determine what is the responsible bank fintech partnership? And what are the regular regulatory oversight that comes with that? Again, in each of these spaces, you're kind of bifurcating sort of various actors in the bank fintech partnership. Not all banks are created equal. Uh, some believe in standards and some don't. So the AFC, we spend a lot of time educating members and, and, and companies um, and policymakers about the difference, uh, the differences in those bank fintech partnerships. But as you sort of go down, dig a little deeper in, in the various verticals, you think about things like earned wage access. Uh, it's a very sexy topic. As I, I mentioned, we're in a number of states, 
In 2023, in uh, there was a number of earned wage access state legislative bills that were introduced, and we were fortunate enough to actually get two of them passed. In Nevada, uh, was the first state in the country to to institute an earned wage access bill and, and signed ultimately by the governor. Um, and also in Missouri, and we work with our partners and, and our members, uh, Daily Pay and Pay Active, and 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 many others to sort of talk about best practice within those specific industries. And so again, the education of, of the various verticals and, and sort of how do you bifurcate sort of one uh, actor or one company within that vertical versus another. Uh, data privacy. Uh, data privacy is is very, very hot. Um, the CFPB um, has been spending a lot of time talking about um, uh, 1033 and, and other rulemakings that are related to data privacy. And, and obviously, again, for us, we believe that, that the consumer owns their data and should have control over that data. And, and more importantly, we believe in competition. I mean, that's what fintech is really ultimately all about, uh, creating competition, offering optionality for consumers. I touched upon and, you know, buy now, pay later companies, right? And, and we already spoke about kind of the nuances and, and how do you explain them again, sort of particularly to regulators and policymakers who are going to be determining the future of these industries. It's important to get ahead of it now um, and talk about those standards. And I'll just end that, I mean, Peter, I can go on for hours on this. I mean, I, as you know, because you and I talk a lot, right. there's a, a fundamental difference between what we do at the AFC in Washington and obviously what we do in, in the States. And we spend a lot of time with, with regula regulators in Washington to actually create those standards, whether it's through the regulatory agencies, whether it's through policymaking or getting and, and working with members of Congress to introduce uh, bills. But the challenge we have and, and the challenge I think that a lot of fintech companies had is sort of the, the two different verticals of, of regulatory structure. Number one is the federal, but the number two is, is the state-by-state -state regulatory oversight. We pay a lot of attention to it, but it's difficult, right? No fintech company wants to have to worry about a 50-state regime. And more importantly is that they want regulatory certainty. And when you have to go state-by-state -state to understand and change your product and your product offerings and your and your compliance mechanisms, it almost makes it impossible for fintech companies to operate responsibly and affordably. And so, you know, again, it, it's critically important that number one, when states are engaged, that we engage, right? Whenever a state is engaged, um, and, and I come from a, a state legislative background serving in the New York state legislature, when a state legislature or, or, or a member of a state, a state house is engaged, obviously we're going to engage. But when it comes to state regulation or state regulators or uh, attorneys general, it's critically important that they recognize that there already exists a regulatory structure uh, that most of uh, of our members at AFC abide by. And so, again, you know, this is a, a constant education process in, in terms of talking about sort of how we're regulated, the standards we believe in. And, and obviously, we'll work with anybody um, in, on the government side who, who wants to work with our our, our members. But it's critically important to recognize that right now, fintech responsible innovators are servicing millions of consumers. And so it's it's important that that policymakers and regulators recognize that those are critical services that unfortunately, you know, particularly in, in minority and rural communities, that people would be without if not for fintech stepping in. And we saw that time and time again. Peter, we we probably spent, and I it's funny, I it's hard for me to talk about. I, I mean, I, you know how much time we spend talking about the Paycheck Protection Program through COVID. And, and you think about sort of the, the story of, of a mom and pop shop or an Uber driver, right? A sole proprietor or an independent contractor who was just as eligible for a PPP loan as everybody else. 
but unfortunately didn't have a big bank relationship or didn't know a banker and had no way to access the Paycheck Protection Program. Steps in responsible fintech companies working with regulated banks, as every study has shown that when working with, with responsible um, regulated banks can democratize the system. Um, and I was, was working at, at Cross River at the time who partnered with dozens and dozens of fintech companies to offer uh, paycheck protection loans in a fair, safe, transparent way, and ultimately were, was able to fill that gap that traditional financial institutions, I don't want to say couldn't, but refused to because it was too right. difficult or too hard. And that exact that is exactly what fintech is. And But I think it, it's critical, I, I repeat this again, not all fintech is created equal, right? There were some that took advantage of the system. We don't stand for that at AFC and, and none of our members would stand for that. And, and it's unfortunate. And we worked with the SBA to, to go after to those bad actors who, who preyed on, on small businesses in their time of need. And so again, fintech has, has a, there's a real opportunity with fintech, particularly when you educate policymakers and lawmakers about the benefits and, and how we can serve consumers in need. Yep. Yep. I agree. The, the, the Paycheck Protection Program was so, so important. And in many ways, fintechs came to the rescue. Um, I actually want to go back. I want to go back and talk about earned wage access. It's one of my um, favorite products. I feel like it's, uh, uh, one of my pet peeves is that you know we are in this uh, we're here in 2023 and we're still getting paid you know twice a month or once a week or sometimes once a month. It's it's a little ridiculous that we're not paid whenever we want, and that's why I love the earned wage access product. I think it's I, I personally believe it's probably the best financial inclusion tool or financial health tool that has been invented by fintech. I think it's just so it enables people to access their wages when they need them instead of having to go to a payday lender. But I know that we you've talked about there's two states, Nevada and Missouri. That, that have, is there any movement at the federal level or do you think that we're still a long way away from that? So let me start by saying the idea with the Nevada and the Missouri law were again to create the standards, right? Again, it's, it's critically important to recognize that not all fintech is created equal and, and especially within those verticals. And so, so how do you differentiate and how do you define earned wage access? So number one, earned wage access, to be very, very clear, is not a loan, right? Mm-hmm. A loan is when you don't have money and someone lends you that money and you pay them an interest rate based on that. That's not what earned wage access is. When you think about earned wage access, exactly what it says, earned wage access, right? You're accessing the wages that have already been earned. Now think about it like this. If you're a, a Lyft driver, right, or somebody working in the gig economy, most of those most of those folks, when they finish their delivery or they finish making their ride, they could push a button on their app and they can get access, right? They just made the ride. Think about it. Think about historically a cab driver, right? You get out of the cab, you hand him money, right? This is back in the olden days where we handed <laughs> the, the cab driver actual money. The cab driver just earned the money for the ride he gave. Peter, that's not a foreign concept. It's something that we understand, that we embrace, that we accept. Why should anybody be any different? Now, if you're going back to those days where people handed each other money, it was also also very, very costly for companies to run payroll. I can tell you that my wife is a teacher. Uh, One of her jobs, she actually still gets a paper check once a month. And once upon a time, it was actually very, very costly to run payroll. That's not the case anymore. That's not the case today. As a matter of fact, right, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, FedNow was introduced, the new version of, of, of the Federal Reserve's instant payment network, where you can move money 
not in near real time, in real real time. And that's what earned wage access does, is that it's not a loan. We're giving you access to money that you've already earned. And if, if the gig economy can have that, why can't every employee, employee have that? And more importantly, is to exactly what you said. It is a, a clear alternative to what people are currently using, which is payday and predatory lenders. If someone needs to pay a bill, right, they get their bill, but their paycheck doesn't come in until the end of the month. But this bill comes in at earlier, you know, a week before the end of the month. Right now, how are people bridging that gap? How are they making that payment? And so they're borrowing from friends and family in, in a good instance. In a bad instance, if it's a bill they have to pay, if it's a utility bill, if it's a rent payment, whatever it is, right? Because the, the paycheck doesn't align perfectly with all the bills that come in. You're now able, if they're not able to, to access that money in a safe way, they unfortunately, you know, take their ring, take their necklace, they go to a pawn shop. Right. And, and that's the way they make ends meet. And that's happening. That's happened. That, that's happening today. As an alternative, earned wage access is a, a safe, transparent way to access your your funds uh, through companies like Daily Pay and Pay Active um, and Earning and so many others who are offering responsible products. And so AFC, together with 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 our, our coalition that we were able to put together, we started working with state legislatures um, to introduce bills that kind of laid out those exact parameters I talked to, talked about. Right, number one, it's it's not a credit product, and so we're not going to do any underwriting. There's no fees based on credit worthiness. It's not credit, right? It's not an installment. There's no interest charges. The bills, the parameters of the bills, in, in general, is that you have to have you have to get licensed in those states, right? Which means there's going to be a significant amount of transparency in that. There needs to be a no cost option. And so there needs to be every company needs to offer a free option. Um, you have to commit to sharing your data with your with your regulatory agencies. You can't, obviously, as we talked about, you can't exceed the money you've earned, right? So if you haven't earned it yet, you can't exceed the amount of money that you earn. And then most importantly, and I would argue most importantly, everybody has a different opinion, but there's got to be fee disclosures. And so however you charge a fee, right? Whether it's a tip, whether it's a fee per service, whether it's a monthly fee, it must be disclosed and not buried in the fine print. I had the opportunity to, to as a matter of fact, at FinTech Nexus to, to uh, interview Rohit Chopra, the CFPB, the director of the CFPB, where we talked about the fine print that oftentimes all these, the quote unquote transparency gets buried in. When it comes to earned wage access, we're, we're, we're sort of taking the, the transparency out of the fine print and, and trying to make it as clear as possible. And then finally, like non-recourse, right? It's not a loan. And so there's going to be no late fees. There's no debt collection. And, and there's no collection of uh, of any kind. The idea is that if, if you don't make your payments, obviously you're not gonna be able to utilize the program again, but because it's not a loan, there's really no recourse and, and these are all non-recourse products. And so we've worked very hard in passing the two bills, as you mentioned, and obviously uh, spending a lot of time working with members of Congress. We have, I have seen, and I don't wanna say too much yet, um, I have seen a draft of, of a congressional bill, uh, legislation in Washington that's still uh, underway. In addition, we've been talking with regulators uh, at the CFPB and others about uh, ways to build parameters and some of those standards that I just talked about into earned wage access regulatory structure. And so we're on the forefront of, of, of these issues. Um, we spend a lot of time with our members and our staff to make sure that we're, we're promoting sort of those who act responsibly and creating standards and, and structures for them to work within. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. You mentioned the CFPB. I want to touch on an op-ed that you recently did at American Banker 
you and I think it was Armin Meyer from Lending Club penned this op-ed, something like be careful what you wish for or something, when you were talking about the the challenge because the, the, the Republicans are challenging the very existence of the CFPB, whether it is actually constitutional. Tell us, just give us a quick summary of what you were trying to say there. Yeah, the, the very basic, the very basic idea is that it's. I started our conversation, Peter, with the concept of a trade association for the sake of being a trade association. And what I mean by that is, we set up the trade to represent industry to push back on regulators, right? And it becomes a, oftentimes very black and white, you know, Democrat, Republican, you know, liberal, conservative, right? Like very black and white. And if you're a conservative, you have to do X. And if you're a Democrat, you have to believe in Y. I didn't believe in that in my political career. I didn't believe in that at Cross River. And I don't believe in that now at the American FinTech Council. And what I mean by that is, is that just because we're a trade association, it doesn't mean that we're inherently obliged to push back on regulatory structure or on regulators that want to regulate. As I've mentioned a number of times, we believe in responsible and appropriate regulation. That being said, is this what what scares fintech companies is uncertainty. Um, and, and even worse than that is enforcement, right, from a regulatory agency that is done because of that said uncertainty. And so the fear for us at the American Fintech Council and for our members and a, a tremendous, tremendous thanks to Armin Meyer. Armin is, has been one of my closest friends in this industry for a long, long time you know, sort of heads policy at, at Lending Club and, and obviously now uh, sits on the board of the American FinTech Council. The premise was very, very simply is that, you know, there are some there are some who want to see the CFPP gone, not because they disagree with everything, not because they've done a, a, a real question of, of what works and what doesn't work and what's the best way to do it. It was simply based on the constitutionality. And, and interestingly enough, some of the pushback we've gotten from since the op-ed is your arguments have nothing to do with the constitutionality of the CFPB or not. Granted, right? I'm not a lawyer. I was not weighing in on, on whether the, the the premise of the case or, or the nuances of the case. I think the point we were trying to make is really about regulatory certainty. And if you roll back the CFPB, do you then call them to question a lot of the rules and rulemaking that the CFPB has done, particularly, again, in the case we pointed out, was around 36% rate caps, right, and the payday rule and, and, and other things that, that kind of provided some semblance of regulatory certainty and guardrails for the fintech industry. And so we always try to look at, at agency, at, at rulemaking, um, to try and figure out kind of what the positive is and how do we find a way to work within it. The biggest challenge in the absence of that, and, and the reason why I think the headline was was almost perfect, right, you know, be careful what you wish for, because the CFPB goes away, and now all of a sudden, some of the things that, that many companies were relying on, you know, potentially go away as well. And some of that that regulatory clarity and regulatory regulatory certainty go away as well. And so I'm more of a, you know, of a pragmatic thinker, right? And and I'm I'm a believer in we may not like the agency in the way it's constructed, and let's find a way to, to manage that, right? Like let's understand the way it's constructed. Let's take a look in its totality, what the challenges are at the CFPB, and should it be set up similar to the FDIC, where there's a board, right? Should there be a commission? You know, there's a number of different ideas that have been proposed, but but ultimately, I'm I'm, I'm afraid of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And, and unfortunately, you see this on both sides. You're seeing it now with the CFPB. Peter, you live in Colorado. You and I had, you know, spent time together when, when I was there uh, working with the Attorney General and the state legislature on a Colorado bill where there were some in the consumer advocacy world 
who are willing to throw away access to credit in the interest of of making you know a, a small difference in, in in the predatory lending world versus like finding ways to come together. And so the core of the op-ed and, and, and ultimately kind of what AFC believes in is that that we want to work with everybody. We want to make sure that, that the consumer groups, the consumers themselves, the regulators, members of Congress, members of state legislatures are all sitting together, right? Sitting together and, and having the debate about what is the benefit of the of the program, what is the, the, the downside of the program, and how do we work together together to, to craft compromise. And that's the way I look at, at the CFPB as well. And so I'm, you know, again, we'll see how things turn out. Um, I think that that rules of the road are important for for fintech and for fintech certainty. And 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 unfortunately, you know, too often times you see, and I saw this when I was a member of the legislature, you see reactionary legislating, right? Let's let's do it because it's the message of the day, or because it's the you know sort of that's the way the wind is is blowing. And and I don't think we should ever operate that way, right? We expect regulators to be thoughtful. We expect policymakers to be thoughtful. Industry should e- should be equally thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Very good points. Very good points. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, the policy summit that is coming up. I think it's the sixth annual policy summit going back. Seventh. 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 Oh my goodness! I'm sorry. Seventh annual. <laughs> going back to the days of uh, the uh, OLPI for the listeners who have been with us a while. And obviously, and FinTech Nexus is partnering with the American FinTech Council on this summit. Very excited to be working with you again, Phil. And uh, just tell us a little bit of a um, little bit of background about it and what um, people can expect at the summit this year. So, thank you again. It's it's the perfect it's the perfect follow up to what I just talked about, right? This is the American FinTech Council is not your traditional trade, um, and the, the the American FinTech Council Policy Summit is not going to be your traditional trade show slash conference. There are many good ones and there are many great ones, and, and there's obviously a tremendous value to those. What we're trying to do is, is foster dialogue and foster conversation, exactly to what I just talked about related to the CFPB, is that there, there's no there's no right way to do everything. There's no one way to do everything, right? There are multiple opinions. There, there are multiple uh, mechanisms in which to solve to solve a problem. Going back seven years, and, and you were there at probably our first one. It was my first year uh, um, at the Online Lending Policy Institute, uh, together with uh, Boston University. It was Cross River and Rocket Loans. They created this policy summit to really put everybody in the same room. Consumer groups, members of Congress, industry, CEOs, general counsels, heads of compliance to obviously create panels and opportunities to put thought leadership out there and, and have those conversations in terms of, of your traditional panel presentations and, and keynote speeches. But more importantly is that we created opportunities for the dialogue to continue. There was, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the it was the third or fourth year, and the years blend together, but it was the third or fourth year where we sat, you know, we just finished a panel uh, right before lunch on bank fintech partnerships. And a, a bank CEO, a fintech CEO, the head of a consumer group, and, and one that, that people have very strong opinions about, so I'm not going to mention their name, but a, a very aggressive consumer group. <laughs> yeah, a very aggressive consumer group. And a member of Congress were sitting down, having lunch, and fighting over regulatory structures for bank fintech partnerships. And I want you to think about what that means, Peter. We're no longer operating in the theoretical, like, oh, what could happen? The CEO was talking about what he was dealing with every single day. 
the fintech, uh, the fintech company was talking about what they were dealing with. The member of Congress was asking really good questions. And the consumer group was poking holes about why it was wrong. And they walked away. I don't, uh, let me just be clear. They didn't solve world peace that day, right? They didn't solve <laughs> the problems and they didn't figure it out. But that dialogue is critically important because in the absence of that, everybody defaults to to hyperbole, defaults to kind of just the, the, the grand statements that makes them feel good in that moment. The beauty of the Policy Summit, November 14th, if you haven't had a chance, go to fintechcouncil.org to, to buy your tickets today. The Policy Summit is going to convene the biggest, uh, most important regulators, policymakers, CEOs, fintech companies for a full day of thought leadership, of dialogue, uh, of important conversations, and more important than just those panels that we're going to see is that it's going to foster opportunities for people to come together to have some of these important conversations, and that we're not afraid of it. I, you know, I, I remember pitching, and, and we all do this in the industry, right? Pitching a panel um, at, a, at an industry it was not fintech nexus, I promise, but we were pitching a panel idea, and I said, "Wouldn't it be great if I could sit with you know consumer groups and we can have an honest to goodness debate, right? We'll have a moderator, but we'll have an honest." Like the debate we do behind closed doors, let's do it in front of everybody. There's no reason. And the industry trade association said, no, they're not interested. They don't want those opinions because, you know, that's bad for industry. I don't think that's bad for industry. The American FinTech Council doesn't believe that's bad for industry. Those engagements are actually the best thing for industry and for the FinTech industry. And so whether you're an earned wage access, buy now, pay later, whether you're a Bass bank, regardless of how much you're dipping your toe into fintech, or if you've dove, you've dove in headfirst on the fintech side or the bank side, we encourage you to come get your tickets November 14th. It's going to be the biggest policy um, and regulatory um, summit in Washington, D.C., and we encourage you to attend. It's going to be an important conversation. Yep, it will indeed. I'll be there, and I'm looking forward to it immensely. In closing, Phil, uh, would love to kind of get your sense when you when you look at, at Congress today, we have uh, an election year next year. You're talking with uh, with policymakers. Any sense on whether we will see new legislation that will impact fintech in the next year or so? It's funny because, you know, I think the, the expected answer would be no, right? No, we don't expect Congress to do anything or, or make any moves. But coming on the heels of two big things, which I think are important to note, which one I mentioned earlier is FedNow. Peter, I actually, and I'll admit this to your audience, in 2019, I wrote an op-ed and, and I said that like, you know, FedNow is number one, may never happen. And number two is so far off in the future that when, by the time it gets here, if it gets here on time, is, is not going to be useful or serve a purpose. And I will admit it, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> FedNow is here. It is a government program or quasi-government program that is here on time, on schedule, actually already working. It's been up and running now for a bit, and it's already actually working and moving money in real time. And so, you know, again, sort of pushes back on the idea that it's hard to get things accomplished in Washington. Number two is that we just had a historic crypto, um, a, a bipartisan crypto bill uh, that was passed out of House Committee recently. And, you know, we'll see how it, how it proceeds, but, but you're actually seeing movement on crypto and crypto related legislation and you're seeing members like congressman patrick mchenry on uh, on the republican side and, and congresswoman maxine waters on, on the democratic side actually find ways to work together for common sense proposals i, I had a meeting with you know again i had a, a great meeting with uh elizabeth, senator elizabeth warren's office uh, not too long ago to talk about aml bsa specifically related to crypto right like how are we going to evolve the industry and have common sense conversations 
sometimes even with the most right-leaning members of Congress and sometimes even with the most left-leaning members of Congress. So I have been called an optimist before. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of my downsides. I'm, I'm a believer that we can actually change the world. I wholeheartedly, from the day I started my career in public service till now at, at the American FinTech Council, I believe we can change the world. It's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And so how do we do that? We do that by engaging. We're having a, a number of conversations now specifically uh, with bass related banks right how do we tell the story specifically related to banks that are partnering with with uh financial technology companies fintech companies and a lot of them come to the table saying like eh the regulation has been baked in for 200 years it can't be changed we can't get anything done and 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 i'm pushing back on that right and i'm saying no, no no we have to try right we have to engage our regulators we have to engage our policymakers because if you don't engage you've already lost and it's what I've done my entire career. I apologize because I, I sometimes like you take a look at, at the bills around me and there's three that are hanging on the walls that are behind me. Those are pen certificates that were, were bills that I introduced. Each one of them I was told can never be done. You'll never get it passed. You'll never get it signed into law. And, and ultimately, it'll never take effect. And all three of those laws, and there's one more over here off camera, all three of them were done. They were done in a bipartisan way and ultimately impacted the lives of, of thousands of my constituents and, and, and millions of New Yorkers across the state. And so I'm, I'm very proud to represent the American FinTech Council because we have the opportunity to change every single family and every single community. But collectively as a group, we have the opportunity to, to really make an impact uh, to families and to financial services all across the country and ultimately across the world. And so that starts with engagement. We've got to engage, right? And, and, and I, look, I don't want to change the world overnight. I want to take steps. I believe my first job in politics, you know, many, many years ago led me to where I am today, right? Everything was a step uh, on the last one. And, and so I believe that we can change the world. I believe that we can make meaningful impact and, and influence in Washington, D.C. And as we've already proven, we could do it in the states uh, time and time again and in various verticals, uh, whether it's in the payments uh, regulatory structure, whether it's in earned wage access, uh, whether it's in buy now, pay later or, or state usury caps and usury rates. And so we can't change anything if we don't come together and try. And that's what the American FinTech Council is trying to do, create the network effect that will enable us to 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 not have a seat at someone else's table, to all get to sit at our own table and influence those messages, right? And so we don't allow the legacy systems and the legacy companies to dictate the rules of the road that fast banks and fintech companies have to live by today. We deserve our own seat at the table. They have trade associations of their own. They're advocating for them. We need to come together and influence and, and create that movement to define who we are and, and our future destiny. And so there are a lot of people who are going to try and define fintech. And there are a lot of people, and, and you're going to see it from the right, from the left, from the consumer groups and from the industry. American Fintech Council is, is trying to create a responsible standard and rules of the road that will provide access to credit, particularly in minority and rural communities, but also enable the vast banks and the fintech companies to thrive and grow. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, Phil. Really great chatting with you. It's a noble mission. Good luck. And uh, I hope uh, I hope you get to change the world. Me too. May Peter, you and me together. Indeed. Okay. Thanks again, Phil. See ya. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. 
Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.